Yo, 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 Chris Peel coming back at you with another episode. So we're continuing the tour of the Eagles opponents, fans. So I probably got the best fan possible. You know, we played the Giants a lot of times over our career. So I'm going to talk with my guy, Tom, from the Review and Preview podcast. He's a Giants super fan. He's been a Giants fan for a long time. We're going to discuss the game from last night. And we're also going to talk about our favorite Eagles-Giants memories. We're going to discuss our rivalry. We're going to discuss if Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer, if Donovan McNabb a Hall of Famer. And there's just a lot of things I've always wanted to ask Giants fans that I'm finally going to get the chance to right now. So we're going to get into that on the other side. So stay tuned. Kids, there's nothing more cool than playing a competitive game. But if you don't get angry after you lose, that's no good. The phrase, it's just a game, is such a weak mindset. When you stop getting angry after losing, you've lost twice. Welcome to uh, episode number 75 of the It's Just a Game podcast. I am your host, Chris Peel. So, continuing the tour of the Eagles opponents, um, I have probably the best opponent that we've ever had. So, last week we had the Ravens. We don't really have a lot of history with the Ravens. But then we went to a team who we have a ton of history with. I think we played the Giants 175 times. I mean, we have the upper hand now because lately the history has been more on our side. So let's welcome a Giants fan, my guy Tom, from the Review and Preview podcast. Uh, Tom, introduce yourself. Thanks for having me, Chris. Really appreciate it. So I'm Tom Scavetta. I'm from New York in Queens, and I – host two shows for the Review and Preview Sports Network. That's correct. The Review and Preview podcast and a Giants podcast called Dig Blue Avenue. Just aired it last night. Unfortunately, it was a tough loss, but I'm looking forward to dissecting that with you, Chris. And thank you so much for having me. You do Not good stuff on the show. So, oh, Thank you. Thank you. Man. Um, so, actually, I'm glad you answered where you were from because I was going to get into that before we get into the game. So, two questions. How long have you been a Cowboys fan? I mean, I'm, looking, I'm already looking ahead to our next game. How long have you been a Giants fan? So I've been a Giants fan since I was, I mean, pretty much my whole life. But when did I first start watching? I was about seven years old, 2002, where they had the meltdown playoff game in San Francisco. I think you guys made the NFC championship game that year. I started watching with my grandfather. So kind of like a family tradition, pretty much. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I remember that. I was sitting in my uncle's house for that game. I remember. <laughs> I, uh, so that end, I was going to ask you, so you are from New York, correct? Yeah, yeah. I'm from New York. So I've always wanted to ask this with, like, people who grew up in cities that have two teams. So why the Giants and not the Jets? Though? Um, You know, it's funny you bring that up. Both my parents are actually Jets fans. Uh, my mother growing up grew up in a Giants household and she thought they were Jet fans and they were growing up somehow, some way. She was like five. So uh, she gravitated towards them. But I picked the Giants over the Jets mainly. Uh, you know, I just enjoyed watching them more. I think I came in towards the tail end of the Kerry Collins era. And I know there was a lot of history with the franchise. And I think majority of my family more lean towards the Giants and where I'm from in my town. I'd say there's a few more Giants fans than Jets fans. So that kind of was the ultimate deciding factor for me. And I personally just developed a natural feeling like a sense for the team. Okay, cool, cool. Cause I've always wanted to ask that with 
you know, <laughs> Mets and Yankees, like how you pick the Mets over the Yankees or yeah. Lakers, Clippers, just always like I've just always wanted to get inside the mind of how do you make that decision. So I'm glad you broke that down for me from one person's perspective. So let's we're going to talk about the game last night, then we're going to get into our favorite moments of the Eagles Giants rivalry. So what was your takeaways from the game last? So what was your thoughts about going into the game? What was your expectations going into the game last night? So, so I'll be honest with you. The Giants haven't won in Philadelphia since, I think, 2013 now. So it's been seven years. Um, okay. I wasn't I wasn't expecting a good game from either side. Obviously, Phil- Philadelphia, in my opinion, they have the best thing in the NFC East right now with Carson Wentz. If I'm doing the projections correctly – they're projected to win the division with a 6-9-1 and one record, which is outstandingly, incredibly nuts. So yeah, yeah. going into this game, Chris, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Actually, I mean, I'm sure you saw my show last night. I had the Giants getting an upset win, uh, but I wasn't too confident in that going in. I thought it could have gone either way. I just think the Giants were riding a hot hand, and I, I felt like the dry spell had to end at some point, and why not? last night coming off a win four days ago. And I think for me, the Eagles, it wasn't having their a lot of their skills players out that did it to me. I know having Ertz and Sanders out was awful for them, but I think the offensive line, having Lane Johnson banged up, even though he did play, Isaac Samalu, Jason Peters, Andre Dillard, and Brandon Brooks, not having those guys, I thought the Giants would win the battle in the trenches, and that would be the deciding factor. So that's why I had the Giants winning. Yeah, um, yeah, I kind of – so what you said about, you know, inevitably, inevitably it has to end, I agree with that because, I mean, we've won 14 of the last 16 games with you guys. We've yeah. won seven in a row. And now eight. Sometimes <laughs> these rivalry, yeah, sometimes these rivalries just happens. I mean, I remember from 97 to 2001, you guys beat us nine years in a row. Yeah. So it – I mean, not nine years, nine times in a row. So – it, it happens where like with these rivalries, but you know, eventually it's going to end. And that's what my mindset is. I'm like, okay, eventually it's going to, you know, flip around and the Giants are going to beat us a couple of times in the row. So I have had that thought myself. And yesterday when it was a 21 to 10 game, I'm thinking oh, maybe this is it. And I was just come, I mean, when they were in the red zone, mm-hmm. I really thought, okay, we could hold them to a field goal. You know, it could be uh, seventeen to ten. All we need is a, uh, all we need is a touchdown. But once they scored a touchdown, I was really just that that kind of sucked all the air out of it. Yeah. But we turned around and got a, a long play to John Hightower, and it ended up, you know, we ended up having a very fast touchdown. Like we didn't have this long drawn out drive, and because once you're behind, you're not only against the team, you're against the clock as well. So the fact that we got that quick touchdown really uh, benefited us, and the fact that Ever Ingram dropped that pass, that really oh. benefited us as well. So. Yeah, I, if I could just say one thing on that high tower catch, once he caught that football, I knew we were in trouble. With our history in Philadelphia blowing late leads, I just knew that Philadelphia was going to find a way. And, you know, of course they did. So it was definitely tough to watch, but well done, man. I mean, you guys have some heck of a team, and I know he's been a turnover machine for you guys this year, but you have one heck of a quarterback in Carson Wentz. I've got to tell you that. Yeah, I just wish – so it's easier to see it from an outsider's perspective, but mm-hmm. I just feel like Eagles fans don't appreciate how good Carson Wentz actually is, especially when you factor in what he has to work with. Like, the offensive line right now is just 
it's brutal right now. We don't like. I know doing research on it, like when you do research on the other uh, the other team, mm-hmm. you really you think, okay, I know this player, I know this player, I know this player. Once you come across players that you don't really know, you have to really look into that guy. And as an Eagles fan, it's tough because like uh, the right guard, I believe, like Herbig, something like that. No, okay, the left guard. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, okay, the left guard. I forgot what his name is. And there's so many players. There's been so many times this year where something that happened. I'm like. I got to flip to my page, like, who is this? Like, yeah. like, like, I really take pride in knowing, like, every single player on the Eagles and knowing them by number and knowing them by name. But mm-hmm. there's been so many times this year. Last week against the Ravens, uh, number 81, just Jason Kroom, I believe. And, like, everyone in Philadelphia was just like, who is this guy? Travis Fogum a couple weeks ago against San Fran. Now we know who he is because this guy's legit. I mean, I can say now, Travis Fogum is – he's going to be a good receiver. I can see it now, so – yeah, he's really good. And I thought Bradbury, who's done a really good job this year covering guys. You know how Jet fans used to call Darrell Revis, Revis Island? Yeah, yeah. I like to call James Bradbury, Bradbury Bunker. Nobody is getting, you know, a lot of catches on him. And I think he didn't move with Fulgham last night. I think Fulgham's catches started coming later on in the game. I think he had about five catches. So he's been a, a dime in the rough for you guys. He's been really impressive where – Nobody else really has been. I mean, Greg Ward, Deshaun Jackson uh, got banged up, unfortunately. But, you know, I think he's been that one guy that's been consistent for you the last couple of weeks. And did you know, this was a stat that I read this morning, Chris, and I was really, really surprised. Boston Scott has six career touchdowns. Five of them are against the Giants. Yeah, Boston Scott is the giant killer. I mean, if you remember last year, the Monday night game, that's when he had his coming out party, so. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a good young player, too, you know, and a lot of people forget that Philadelphia has guys that step up to the plate and just perform, right? I think Carson Wentz makes a lot of those guys better, and even Richard Rodgers in this game. A lot of people forget that he was the leading receiver in last night's game. This is a third-string guy who used to play in Green Bay, kind of fell off the map, and you're like, whoa, you know, tight ends, giant killers throughout the years, Brent Selleck, LJ Smith, Zach Ertz, whoever it's been. Giants can't right, cover. Thanks. Don't talk to me about uh, tight ends because you guys used to kill us with Jeremy Shockey back in the day. So he was fun to watch. He was really fun to watch. <laughs> that 2016 man. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Um, but um, when you brought up our offensive line and the battle in the trenches, mm-hmm. I thought you guys had the advantage as well because I'm looking on your side. I mean, you have a young player like Dexter Lawrence. You got Dalvin Tomlinson. You got Leonard Williams, who was. I know he was really good with the Jets. I'm not really sure. Has he been as good with you guys? So right now, Leonard Williams has been living up to the hype this year. He has three sacks through six games. He is up there in pro football focus world. I I don't know if you follow much of that, but um, that's the strength of the the Giants defense. That's the teeth of their defense right there. Those three guys and B.J. Hill and Austin Johnson, the backups who rotate with them, uh, those five right there. And, DT, Dalvin Tomlinson, he just eats up tacklers on the backfield. He is fantastic against the run, and he moves pretty well for a guy his size. But Leonard Williams, last year, he really struggled. You know, there was a lot of uh, hate going towards Dave Gettleman for pulling that trade off with the Jets because the Giants gave up draft capital. But he's performed. He has, and I got to give him credit. He doesn't quit. I love Dexter Lawrence, too. He's a really – I like to call him D-Law. He's a young guy that – has a bright future, but history shows itself. The Giants don't keep 
uh, defensive tackles long term. Typically, past their rookie contract, they're gone. So, and Tomlinson is on a contract year, so that is a little concerning. Right, right, yeah. Just, I mean, looking at that side of the field, I'm like, I mean, the Giants don't have a the defense is not that bad. I mean, you might think, okay, offense they struggle a lot, mm-hmm. but looking at the defense, I'm seeing James Bradbury, I'm seeing Jabril Pepper, Peppers, I'm seeing Logan Ryan who's solid, I'm seeing uh, Blake Martinez. Yeah. Who, I think they, I think David Mayo leads you guys in tackles, or is it Martinez? I think Martinez did, but having Mayo back is key because he was our second leading tackler last year when we didn't have Martinez. So you know he's still getting mixed back into the lineup, but he's a solid player too. And Marcus Golden, ten sacks last year. Everyone forgets about that. I know a lot of them yeah. were coverage sacks, but still he's a good player to have. And Kyler Fackrell, who yeah. has been really impressive, surprisingly. So. You know, they've had a good mix of players on that defense. I really like what I've seen. Yeah, because, I mean, you guys touched on it yesterday with your, with your show. You guys have been in pretty much every game except for the San Fran game. And even the San Fran game, you guys were in that until, I think, either right before the half or right at yeah. the half. You got it was, like, really close, and then they just they just pulled away at, at a certain point. So, Yeah, they were up 10 to 9, and then they just – blew us up. I mean, the defense was on the field for too long. That was the problem, Chris. The offense couldn't move the football, and the defense was just gassed. They were out there for too long. And, you know, I'm going to say it again. Last night, you saw the Giants. They had to take timeouts on defense because one of the keys to the game, you brought it up a few minutes ago, uh, or I think you did, or maybe it was the video clip I was watching on YouTube. The Giants defense could (laughs) not get off the field on third down, especially in that fourth quarter. So that was really, really rough. And the second quarter was the complete opposite. It was a quarter of all mistakes, miscues on each side of the football. But fortunately, you know, when your offense isn't moving the ball, defense can't get off the field because they're out there forever. They're getting gassed. And I know last night was a little different um, scenario, but I mean, props to you guys, man. You really did a good job. I got to, I got to give it to you. Yeah, yeah, it was a solid game. I um, yeah, it was solid. I I just know, like what you said about the defense not getting off the field. We went through that a lot with the during the Chip Kelly era because our <laughs> offense used to move the ball so fast. Our defense was out there forever, so the the defensive numbers would look way worse than they really were. So it just it really sucked when you can't get the defense off the field. But um, I mean, you guys, I mean, so the last two years. So I went back in the, on Game Pass. I watched the last two games in Philadelphia. I watched the 2018 game, and I watched the game from last year in Philly. So in 2018, we you guys were up on this 19-3. And then last year, during the Monday night game, I think you guys were up 17-3 at a point. Yeah. Yeah. So we always, like against you guys at home, for some reason we always just kept falling behind. But this, this, this week, this year, it was actually the opposite. We actually started off pretty fast. We went down the field, got an open drop touchdown, which was the first time we've done that since week one against Washington. And we got a field goal. And then Carson went through a terrible interception. And then Jake Elliott missed the easy field goal. So it was a lot of missed opportunities. And during that first half, I mean, we don't have the talent to blow teams out. Mm-hmm. But during that first half, we should have been ahead by at least like 20 points because we dominated that, that entire first half. Like, Besides the Golden Tate touchdown, we really, like, we dominated that entire game. We dictated the flow. Like, we we dictated the pace. We did everything right except for put the ball in the end zone, except for pump points on the board. That was the only thing that we couldn't do. Right. And I think what hurt you guys, Chris, was the Deshaun Jackson injury. Again, on that first drive, he was used a lot. But how often was he going to be in the game? 
So I think that was really big. And they used Boston Scott really well on that first drive. Uh, a good mix of him, Greg Ward, and Deshaun Jackson. And, you know, the whole direct snap thing with Jalen Hurts, I think maybe that threw you guys off a little bit. Um, just because I think the Giants defended it really well. But, um, yeah. yeah, missed opportunities. The Jake Elliott missed field goal right before the half. Who would have thought that? And then – each team started the second quarter off with an interception. You have Wentz throwing the ball uh, in the red zone, not in a good spot. Bradbury has two had, now has three picks on the season. He's arguably the best cornerback in the league right now. Uh, I think he's top two, but yeah, that wasn't yeah. good. And then Daniel Jones, what are you doing, man? Two-yard slant pass? You're throwing a rifle to Evan Ingram? <laughs> Come on. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, Daniel Jones. I, I, I mean, looking at Daniel Jones, he he's solid. He's really athletic. I mean, well, it's kind of mm-hmm. athletic. I mean, <laughs> oh god, that that run, that run where he fell was just that was like God saying. I'm really thinking, okay, if they don't score on this play, that is pretty much a microcosm of what the Giants have been for the last few years. But luckily for you guys, you guys ended up scoring a touchdown, so it didn't really matter that much. But it, it was still still funny to see. So. Yeah, and it was crazy, too, because that was actually the longest run by a quarterback since 2015. Marcus Mariota had a, a, a run like that in a game, and it seemed like his wheels just started to give out at the end. And I'll, I'll be honest yeah. with you, as good of a runner as he is, I don't really view him as a running quarterback. I view him as a guy who takes off with it when the play breaks down. But even the last couple of weeks, you've seen it. They've done some option runs to him, and it's it's been working. And, you know, he's hasn't taken – many big hits on those runs. So now I'm starting to question, you know, my previous assumption and saying, is Daniel Jones a running quarterback? You know, is he a dual threat, which, you know, could be good, but you know how it is as the older you get, you have to adapt your game a little bit. You can't run as much because your body's getting older. It's starting to deteriorate a little bit from taking all those hits and that 80 yard run, man. I mean, he should have scored, but the Giants scored a touchdown anyway. So I'm not too mad about that. It would have been nice, though, if he got into the end zone. It was just really a great play. Nobody expected him to have the football. And I think back to my point just a minute ago, that's the reason why he was able to get 80 yards on that run. I don't think the Eagles defense necessarily views him as a running quarterback. They view him as pass first, and I still think that's what he is. But when that play breaks down, you better be ready. Yeah, I know Um, with their read option, like when it became really popular back in like 2012, mm-hmm. You know, the Russell Wilsons, the RG3s, the Colin Kaepernick's. Like, when they made it popular, it was really hard to stop at first. But once teams started getting hip to it, and once you start doing film, you start, okay, this is how we're going to prepare for it. Teams start stopping it a little more. But when you have a guy like a Daniel Jones doing it, you don't really expect it coming as much. I mean, if this was Michael Vick or Lamar Jackson, you, you're you pretty much prepared for, okay, he might pull it, so we're going to have to keep somebody back here. But you're, you're not expecting that from Daniel Jones. So I, I think that's pretty much what it was. But I think I look at Daniel Jones more of like, um, I mean, he's not on the talent of Aaron Rodgers as far as the arm mm-hmm. talent, but as far as like running, like Aaron Rodgers pretty much, he can run and he's really mobile, but he's not a running quarterback. He just, like you said, he runs when the play breaks down. He can throw like on mm-hmm. the move, but he's not looking to run the ball 10 times a game. He's not Cam Newton or nothing. <laughs> Yeah, see, I don't even really view Russell Wilson as a running quarterback. I view him more as if the play breaks down type of guy. You know, same thing with Rodgers. Yeah. Uh, I think Josh Allen is a running quarterback, actually. I think as good as he is as a passer, I I think he's in that category as well with Lamar Jackson, Cam Newton, those guys. I mean, you see him running more often than not. 
you know. So is Jones in that category? I don't think so. No. But um, I think Jones, you know, he's – we know that he has made enough plays to tell that he is the guy, but he's not consistent enough yet. I and mean, it doesn't help when, you know, your, your two offensive tackles are on their rear end half the game, you know, and Brandon Graham was one of my players to watch, and he had a forced fumble. Yeah, that was that was a very good first. That was the best first fumble he's had since the Super Bowl. So. Yeah, that was yeah, a really he's, good. He's he's fun to watch um, too. Yeah, I love Brandon Graham, and it's funny because we drafted him in 2010, and he didn't really hit his like his stride until like 2013. It took like a it took a few years for him to really become good. Like he didn't become good until Chip Kelly got there, and they changed the whole scheme. They went from a four three to a three four. And ever since then, he just he's just been a solid player, and that's why a lot of times with these players, we have to be patient because people expect, oh, he's a first round pick, he needs to be good right away. Like it just doesn't happen that way all the time. Like some players need a little more time. Yeah, you know, wasn't he sitting behind Trent Cole too early on in his career? Yeah, if he was behind Trent Cole, he was behind Jason Babin. He was. Uh, I'm trying to think who else was on on those like 11, 2012 teams. Yeah, he was. He, he was like a, a, a third down guy for the longest time, and everyone was calling him a bust. Everyone was saying, oh, we should have drafted Earl Thomas. We should have drafted Earl Thomas. But then once, you know, Brandon Graham started playing, started playing well, it was okay now. But he does, like, he does so much more. And if you look at his numbers, you know, he don't have a 15, 16 sack season on his resume, but he's a, he, he really good against the run. He gets a lot of quarterback pressures. He he just does so much more. He he brings the energy. He he's he's a fan favorite. He's one of those guys. When he retires, he's always going to get an ovation like in this city. Like he's going to be one of those guys that's just going to be the man in the city. And every team has like Brian Dawkins is that guy for us. Like Allen Iverson is that guy in Philadelphia. So I think Brandon Graham is going to be on that level once he retires. Yeah, I agree. Um, that Brian Dawkins, Jeremy Shockey play still gives me glimpses of back when the Giants were good against the Eagles. The 2002 catch in Week 17. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> I, do, I, yeah. do, I do remember that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we haven't had really a great tight end since Jeremy Shockey. I know his understudy, Kevin Boss, was pretty good, but Evan Ingram, man, I'll be honest with you, Chris, he's the most overrated tight end in the league because he's the and you saw it last night, right? The Giants are doing anything and everything to get him the football, whether it's, you know, a little double reverse type of yeah. thing. They're basically playing hot potato yeah. trying to get him the football. You saw it against Dallas too. And, you know, yeah. he just – I don't know what it is about him. And there, there's no excuses anymore. He's healthy this year. He hasn't been hurt. That's been a big problem throughout his career. He's gotten hurt. And now his fourth year – I know the Giants picked up his fifth-year tender, but he could be gone at this trade deadline. So I kind of hope that he's able to turn things around because right now he has zero trade value. Zero. You, you think well, I don't know, you know zero, this is all an overreaction because we're less than 24 hours removed yeah. from last night. <laughs> right. <laughs> but talk to me in about a week and maybe I'll change my mind. But you get the point. Like this guy, he yeah. I don't know what he would be worth right now. Maybe you can you can probably get something for him. But I don't the, the point I'm trying to make, Chris, is I don't think you would get what you would want. Like you wouldn't be able to maximize his value in a potential trade and part of the reason why I say that is because the Giants don't have much draft capital heading in to next year. Remember we had 10 draft picks this past year and 
uh, so far we haven't seen much from too many of those guys. So, yeah, I was looking at the draft. Like, I'm thinking like I don't, except for the the first round pick, he's a starter. Uh, Thomas tackle. I can't remember his name right now. Yeah. Okay. And um, Xavier McKinney, he he got hurt in the training camp right before the season started, like literally a week before, and that loss was huge. He was our prized draft pick, and we haven't seen him play yet this year, and that's a big loss on the defense, you know? Yeah, that is. Yeah, it's tough for rookies this year anyway because, you know, rookies didn't have preseason. Usually, you know, you get those those couple of games and you might find, like, a, a fifth or a sixth round. Like every year, you find a fifth or a sixth round pick, and you think, like, wow, this guy's better than, than we actually thought. So, that, it kind of sucks for all of the rookies that didn't really get that, get that chance, and it was a limited training camp, so it was a lot of stuff like this is probably the worst year to get drafted yeah. into the NFL. Like, no, it's definitely not a good year to get drafted into the NFL. There's a lot of veterans are going to play, and you've seen it. The Giants are a new team. There's so much turnover, 20 new faces around, and a new head coach, new coaching staff. I mean, what do you expect these first few weeks? Obviously, they're playing against elite pass-rushing duos, and, you know, the Steelers, the Bears, right. the 49ers. Um, and I think you would expect a lot of losses, but I mean, you saw a glimpse of it last night firsthand as an Eagles fan. I think teams need to look out in the second half of the season for the Giants when they get healthier. There's a more togetherness, and I think Judge has a really good system in place where the players are bought in and they don't quit, and their emphasis on special teams is really fun to watch. Yeah, special teams. I think people underrate the special teams but aspect of everything, but it's it's really, really important because special teams play can can flip around an entire game. Yeah, you know, I got I to gotta ask you, last night there was a play in the game where the Giants, it was fourth down around midfield, and it was early in the game, and Riley Dixon is out there to punt, but the Giants called the punt unit out last second, and then the Eagles are trying to get guys on and off the field. He pointed at Corey Ballantyne. He's like, should I fake it and throw to him? Because Ballantyne wasn't marked. If I don't know if you saw that on replay. Uh, but yeah. they just decided to kick it. But Ballantyne probably could have had a first down if they did decide to fake it. I mean, Riley Dixon is a punter that has proven that he can throw the football when he needs to. So I thought that was really interesting to see. And the Giants special teams looks great. The special teams looks great. The defense looks good most of the time. But the offense is, you know, they're in the doghouse of the league right now. They're just not good. Yeah, they're not, and yeah, I'm glad you brought up that. That well, kind of yeah. fun, but that was definitely a, a big break for us because that would have been an easy, easy first down. But I don't know, maybe you you don't want to do that, and then you end up getting yelled at by your coach because you didn't do the real play. But yeah, he probably. I mean, how long has he been in the league? I mean, is he a veteran? But I, I don't think punters have that kind of like cachet to be able to just. Yeah, so Dixon was drafted in 2016 out of Syracuse. And, you know, the Giants love their East Coast guys, but the Giants didn't draft him. He was picked by the Broncos in the fifth round, and then we traded for him because we had an issue with punter. I think we had Brad Wing, and then we got rid of him. So then Dixon became that guy, uh, and then they brought his ex-long snapper over from Denver, Casey Kreider, because Zach Diossi retired. So... Now they've been together for their, the last few years. So I think there's a camaraderie. There's confidence there between those two, the long snapper and the punter, that, you know, 
Dixon yeah. can make a play when he needs to. And I I think I've seen him throw like a few passes before on high on highlight tapes. So I wouldn't have been surprised if he'd done that. But yeah, you're right. You know, it's kind of like a split second decision. Like, are you really going to throw this ball? Because if you don't convert, look where the Eagles get the football. And it, it would prove last night how important field position really, really was in this game. I mean, look, coming off an eight-minute drive to start the fourth quarter, the Giants had to go the distance. And they were able to do it with that, right. uh, you know, the Sterling Shepard touchdown. But then, you know, the Eagles responded nicely again. That was really disappointing, though, because, first of all, I wanted Doug Peterson to just hmm. kick the field goal because, you know, you're at, you're at the one-yard line. Like, okay, you can go for it or whatever. But you're at the three-yard line. That is a long way to go in a fourth and goal. And, you know, even if you think, okay, we don't get it, they're, they're still backed up. We can still, you know, force them to punt. We can get the ball back good field position. At that point, you're playing the field position game. But for, to let them go 97 yards, just that's just really disappointing. And it was a long, drawn-out drive, too. I mean, I, I think you guys got the ball with, I think, 11 or 12 minutes left, and you're running it all the way down to about five minutes. So it was just, it was just a long, drawn-out drive. And that was that was the most disappointing thing about yesterday, not being able to stop that drive. Yeah, you know, I agree. And I think if Philadelphia um, – well, I'll be honest, I thought they were going to kick it. I mean, why leave points off the board right there? Because, you know, my thing is, right, so you really shouldn't chase points that – you don't need to chase, right? And I see it happen more often than not. Teams will go for two-point conversions too early. They'll stay on the field fourth down too early in the game, leaving points off the board. And the Giants have a really good red zone defense. They showed it last week against Washington. That's what won them the game, stopping that two-point conversion. So, you know, I was definitely a little confused by that play call. I do think that that gave the Giants offense momentum where – you know, Wayne Gallman, this guy who has been a career-long backup so far to Barkley. You know, a lot of people forget this guy was Deshaun Watson's running back in college. And he was able – he was a big part of that drive. The Giants were able to get him the football, get some good runs, and they were able to – you know, it was a nicely called drive by Jason Garrett. Again, methodical moving, taking time off the clock, and they're – Again, you know, Philadelphia's defense, they're, I think they're in better shape than the offense right now, uh, health-wise. But outside of Malik Jackson, who missed – I think he had a quad injury, right? Yeah, I think it was either a quad or like right. a knee injury. But, again, like that. that drive really – I thought that put an exclamation point on the game right there. Uh, but, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. And, yeah, I think Philadelphia would have been in better shape if they kicked it. They would have put themselves in a better position where they wouldn't have had to have come back down by 10, 11 points. But, Chris, there's so many what-ifs. like, And that's why I hate looking back and say this moment, that moment. You, you could point the finger at Ingram. You could point the finger at uh, Jake Elliott. But each team has so many of those moments. So I just really think it's unfair to point out like one specific moment and be like, hey, like if you did this – we would have won. Yeah, right, right. You know? I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel you. And, um, you know, what you were saying about Gallman, so about Barkley, I know he, he tore his yeah. ACL, correct? So he's mm-hmm. done for the year, correct? Okay. So for like a half a second, I'm watching the game, and I'm watching the pregame, and I see Saquon Barkley like on the field. And for half a second, like my heart stopped because I'm thinking like, wait, He's not about to play tonight, is he? Like, 
So, I mean, I know he's not going to play, but just, just seeing him on the field and just knowing how much he's terrorized us over the last, like, couple of years, I just really, like, my stomach stopped, my heart stopped for a half a second. Like, no, this is this is not happening. Because Sekar Brusky is not human. I mean, if anybody can come back early from a, a torn ACL, it would be him. So, but they're, they're really just, they're really just. Yeah, crazy. you know, he's a guy, too, that a lot of people. So, the, according to the doctors, they've said that there's a 90% chance he returns to his full self, which is great news for uh, Giants fans and everybody. But, um, you know, a lot of people have been saying he's approaching his contract year. What's the deal? Is is he going to stay? And, you know, we've seen it happen before. Adrian Peterson tore his ACL, comes back, has a 2,000-yard season. Dalvin Cook, similar thing. Early on in his career, tore his ACL. Look what he did the following year. And I think we could see the same thing with Saquon Barkley, but I'm going to be honest, Chris, he needs to, and I, I, I hate to say this, but he needs to because with all the flips he does with the hurdles and everything, I, I think that that yeah. really derails his ceiling in this league because you want to last as long as possible, you know, uh, and I get it. Like Barkley's here for a good time, maybe not a long time, but uh, I just hope that he's able to come back because that's a key part of our offense that's been taken away from us this year. Yeah, for sure. Like the the NFC East fan in me is like the Eagles fan in me is just thinking like, man, Saquon Barkley gonna be scary for the next couple of years. But the football fan in me is thinking, okay, I hope he comes back to full strength because this guy's a good player. I mean, I remember watching him at Penn State, just thinking like, this guy's gonna be legit in the NFL. But it just ha- like this is one thing I really hate. I hate when I'm watching a good player in college and then he gets drafted to a division rival. That is like the worst thing that can happen. Like it happened with uh, Ezekiel Elliott. It happened with Saquon Barkley and it happened with Chase Young with Washington. And I mean, I remember thinking Chase Young is going to be legit and then we have to play in the first game of the season. And, you know, it's just the same thing with all these division teams. I just, I really hate that my team has to go against these type of players. It, it disappoints me as an Eagle fan because I don't want to see these guys two, two times a year. Like, Go to an AFC team where I have to see you every four years. Like that, that would work out <laughs> you know, you bring up a lot of good points. I felt the same way when the Eagles drafted Lane Johnson because we needed linemen back then when Washington drafted Brandon Scherf. I mean, the Giants have missed so many opportunities to draft, uh, you know, a gem of an offensive lineman. And it's not easy to fill those voids because if you remember correctly, um, I think the Eagles – Back in the early 2000s, they, they struggled against the Giants at home, right? When Manning's career was first starting, he was very successful there. Yeah, there was one loss in particular in 06 where we yeah. were up 24 to 7 going into the fourth quarter and they ended up coming back. So, like, that was, that was, yeah, that was one of us. the top 10 games of Eli's career for sure. But, you know, Heaven McNabb had a really good rivalry. And then what happened was the Giants. The ownership change from Ernie Acorsi to Jerry Reese, you started to see uh, Reese not building the team that, you know, the Maras and the Tishes wanted. You know, he had some good draft picks here and there, but um, the inability to put an offensive line in front of Eli Manning because you know he's not mobile. You just leave him there out to dry. Look what happened in his last few years. And the receivers they gave him, too, weren't great. You know, outside of Odell Beckham Jr., can you really name one receiver that stuck from like 2012 up until now? No. Uh, 
I mean, Sterling Shepard was a good Yeah, good, I mean, he's still draft. here. He's in his fifth year. The Giants just extended him. He's been good, but he, you know, he's been a piece of glass as far as injuries go. I, I hope he can just stay on that field. He is very talented. Uh, you know, I think he's more of a slot guy. And, I mean, I was really impressed with Darius Slay last night defending Darius Slayton, held him to just two catches. Yeah, Darius Slay, is, he's been really, really good, and – I was really – I don't want to say I was low on him, but I knew he was a good player. But I just know our history of these high-priced free agents, these, these high-priced cornerbacks that we've gotten because we've gotten burned every single time. We got burned with Nandi Alcimar, yeah. with Dominique rogers Camardi, We got burned with uh, Byron Maxwell. So it just – just with the history, I was just really, really hesitant about a, a high prize. I mean, I know it was a trade, but it's still a, a high prize like cornerback. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the last one that we really hit on was uh, Asante Samuel. So, like, besides that, we've been really missing on these these top cornerbacks that we've always tried to sound. Yeah, like. you know, he was a good player for you guys, too. And, you know, I really like – I'm trying to remember who that uh, that linebacker was that you guys had. He was really good. I can't remember his name, though. Uh, it, was, it was around the time where you guys started to really dominate the series uh, in this last decade. I can't think. No, I think it was after Trotter. There was a linebacker who was uh, – it's on the tip of my tongue too. Can't remember his name. But um, no, not Stuart Bradley. There was a guy like uh, – yeah, Stuart Bradley was good. He was good for like two years. And then he, can't, he couldn't stop getting concussions. So like, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think who you're thinking of. Um, Gosh, it was back when they had LaShawn McCoy at running back. Um, was it De- was it D'Amico Ryan's maybe? It may be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, really I, I think that was the guy, right, yeah, when got, Fletcher got- Cox was starting out. And I think he really did a good job of anchoring their D. De- I don't remember how long he was there, but I, I think he was the guy I was thinking of, Chris. And, like, I don't, I don't know. I just – I like – him and the way he was able to anchor the defense and the reason why I'm pointing him out right now, that's what the Giants were missing. Ever since Antonio Pierce left the team, we didn't have anybody like that. And that's, in my opinion, that's part of the reason why the series shifted. The Eagles had defensive leaders and the Giants did not. I mean, you had JPP, I get it, but Landon Collins, which that still hurts, but you can't give a safety the bag, you know. It's hard nowadays. You have to really pick and choose. I think for me, Landon hurt more than Odell. Right. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up. So, were you a fan of the uh, Odell trade, or did you think it was um, time to move on? I felt it was time to move on. Now, I, I don't agree with it from a perspective as where you just gave him a contract extension and now you're going to trade him. You should have done it beforehand if you were had any idea of entertaining it. I personally wasn't a big Odell fan. I know Giants fans are very mixed on this, but here's the thing. Guys like Victor Cruz, Mario Manningham, uh, Hakeem Nix, they brought us championships, and they were really good character guys that I liked. You know, Odell, it seemed every week he was was in a brawl one week with the the kicking net situation and, you know, the whole – calling out of Eli Manning. Look, I get it. Eli Manning wasn't 
great towards the end of his career. I don't think he was bad. I don't think he was the main component of the problem, but Odell was mad that he wasn't getting the ball enough in this offense. And was he right to an extent? Yes. The offense wasn't capable of getting him the football as much as he would have wanted, but you know, that's a part of being a team. I think the giants lose with Odell and the giants lose without Odell regardless. That's just my take on that. I really don't miss him that much because it's been proven in the past you can win championships without an elite wide receiver. You know, like, do I miss his talent? Of course I do. I agree. I'm actually glad you brought that up because I was just thinking to myself, I mean, you think about it. Marvin Harrison has one Super Bowl ring. Randy Moss doesn't have any Super Bowl rings. Terrell Owens doesn't have any Super Bowl rings. I mean, only like like star receiver that you can think what the Super Bowl ring is. You know, Jerry Rice has a few, but like you said, I mean, you don't need a, a top-tier receiver. I mean, you need, like, some solid receivers, but you need some solid receivers, some solid character guys. But those top-tier receivers are usually yeah. they're usually divas. They're usually high-maintenance. They're usually, you know, your Odell Beckham, yeah. your Chad Johnsons, your Terrell Owens. Like, they're usually those kind of guys. Like, and even the ones that you think are humble, like Michael Thomas, eventually they – Yeah, you need to really find well, so. a lot of money. For doing something, yeah, he got into a fight. Yeah, he got into a fight. I think the Malcolm Jenkins or Patrick Robinson in uh, practice, and he got, yeah, he, he first he was hurt, then he got, then he was coming back, and then he got fined for that, and then they they benched him for the game. But now he's then they were saying he was hurt, so we don't really know what's going on. But so I'll tell you this, and here's a guy to look out for in future Giants Eagles matchups. And again, you know, this is a name you're probably not surprised by, but it's Darius Slayton. My favorite Giants receiver of all time is Amani Toomer, and Darius Slayton is the modern-day Amani Toomer. He is, Slayton is a number two wide receiver on any football team, but he's the number one on the Giants because he's the only guy right now. I understand Shepard's coming back, but <laughs> right now he has to be that number one guy in the way he carries himself in the locker room. He talks like him. Uh, he acts like him, and he makes sideline the sideline catches. He has a lot of awareness, and he—I just love the way he does the toe drag catches. And you know, he just reminds me a lot of Amani Toomer, who I loved personally. He—he he was so fun to watch. He emerged onto the scene, and he was a guy that you could always rely on, and the Giants could rely on Darius Slayton. I—I I feel like, I mean, last night his numbers weren't great, but. You know, you're going to have those games, and I think that's the type of wide receiver the Giants need on their roster. They need more Darius Slaytons. Yeah. I Yeah, Monty Toomer yeah. was really good for you guys. Like, Monty Toomer, um, Ike, Hilliard. Ike, Ike Hilliard was your other wide receiver. That was, a yeah. really, that was a really good duo. You know who I really hate? Like, the two worst players. So, I really hate when my team goes against big running backs. And you guys had two of, like, the biggest running backs ever. So, Ron Dane back in the day, I hated going against him and Tiki Barber. But Tiki Barber, I didn't mind because you, we can get, we can oh, get a fumble out of him every once in a while. But Ron Dane was terrible. Yeah. And um, and then Brandon Jacobs. I, I loved hated him. when we had to play Brandon Jacobs. That was like, yes, like, that was the worst because he was so hard to tackle. Yeah, Brandon Jacobs was a big boy. He was pretty much an offensive lineman that carried the football. He, he was pretty much their size. <laughs> right, like, um, and it didn't help that the Giants had a really good offensive line back then. Uh, Kareem McKenzie, Chris Snee, David Deal, O'Hara, uh, those guys, yeah. Chris Snee, 
Yeah, and he had baby alligator arms too. You know, his arms weren't big, but he still found the way to move people. And the Giants always ran to the right side behind Snee and Kareem McKenzie. Those were two studs on the right side. So I think, you know, the Eagles are probably happy right now that the Giants' offensive line is just – it's nowhere to be found. I mean, this offensive line is going to keep getting retooled every single year, and it's not going to work. So – Look, I, I'm not I'm not very confident over these last couple of years. It's been it's been a rough few years, and you know until we get a good offensive line intact, this team's not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I think Andrew Thomas has the potential, but yesterday we we went yeah he has he's learning from Mark Colombo, who's a great um, who. You and I both remember our teams going up against him when we play the Cowboys. Uh, now that he's our O-line coach, he brings like an old school mentality and he's really good with fundamentals and techniques where to place your hands when you're blocking somebody, which Andrew Thomas has improved on, but he's yeah. still very slow. And I don't understand what it is because he actually got benched um, against Washington for Matt Pert for uh, being late to a meeting. And Pert looked better than him in the limited action that he had. I think at this point, you would at least see a sign that Andrew Thomas is developing and improving. But we haven't really seen that sign. And we saw it from a third-round guy who played one game. No penalties, no sacks. Your best offensive lineman is your least talked-about offensive lineman. That's the way I like to put it. (laughs) Yeah, pretty pretty much. If you're talking about the offensive lineman – they usually having a bad game. I um, but I mean, you yeah. know why he's starting? He's the he's the number one draft pick. You know how it is in football. Like, you know, you, you can't bench your your number one guy in this rookie year. You just it just doesn't look good because then the GM has to admit that they made a mistake, and it's just a whole thing. So, you know, but uh, so since we were talking about Odell Beckham, I'm sure you remember the catch against the Dallas Cowboys. So, how excited were you? Oh, I was thrilled because you've never seen anything like that before. You've never seen a guy go up and catch it with not one hand, three fingers. Right. Like, it was nuts. I just, I remember sitting – I was literally sitting in my mom's house, and I was sitting on the couch watching it with my brother. And, you know, it was Eli Manning throws it up. And I'm seeing that. I looked at my brother like, wait, did he, did he catch that? Like, Because it's one of them things where, you know, you see guys like trying to make these remarkable catches, but – Usually it doesn't happen. Usually, you know, they stick the one arm out and, you know, it's too high. You, you always think of like, wow, if he would yeah. have or wow, like that would have been a crazy catch. But you just think of like, wait, did he actually catch that? Did he actually get in bounds? Wait, the flag is on the other player? So it was a pass interference and he caught the pass? Like, are you kidding me? So it was just that, – that was nuts. And that was just – I mean, even to this day, you see that catch a lot. So it was – yeah, I really loved him from a talent perspective, Chris. He was so much fun to watch, and you really had to key in on this guy. And what it did was it opened up a lot of room for guys like Ingram and Shepard back when they were rookies, second-year guys. Um, and Odell was a force. Yeah. I mean, he had game-changing plays pretty much every other game, and it was really hard to contain him. And I think that's why – you know, he brought a lot of excitement to the Giants offense. But, um, you know, after 2016, things went downhill where the Giants just couldn't, you know, his contract was coming up. But, yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying. That catch was absolute, like, mind-boggling play that I'm never going to forget. And 
Um, I'm pretty sure I might have it framed somewhere. I might have like a, a frame of it in my room. I don't know if I have it up, but I definitely have a few Giants frames I still haven't put up yet. I'm pretty sure that's one of them. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. <laughs> I um yeah, that that was that was nuts. I just remember um and you don't have to tell me that he was oh, yeah. hard to contain because we we know I mean, he used to kill us. So like it's I mean there were plenty of games. There was one catch in I think twenty seventeen. The, the Jake Elliott game, and he made two touchdown catches in that game. And there was one at, I think, the back of the end zone. And he, he went up and caught it, and Jalen Mills pushed him out the end zone. And, like, watching it live, you think, okay, there's no way he got two feet down. Like, there's just no way. There's no way yeah. he got pushed out the end zone, and he still got two feet down, and he maintained possession of the ball. And then you look at the replay, and then you're like, wait, he, how did he get two feet down? Like, how is that, how's that humanly possible? So there was a lot of plays where – he really made that's just one of those things where you're just like, well, what can you do? Like, yeah, you can I, do. I don't know what it is. Ever since 2017, his numbers have gone down substantially. I think people are starting to figure him out. I think his injury in 2017 really hurt him a lot because he has not made a Pro Bowl since that injury, which is sad. Yeah, if you if you look at yeah if you look at his first three years, his numbers were just on par with, like, some of the greats. I mean, you're talking, like, 91 catches, 100 catches. Yeah. I think it was another year of 95 catches, I believe. But it was, like, those first three seasons were insane. And the first year, he missed, I think, the first four games. So that was – to have those numbers when you only played – And that was the year the Giants, like they had Reuben Randall, Manningham, and Cruz. And they're like, well, why do we need to draft this guy? And then what happened was Cruz got hurt. Uh, Randall was really bad. And then I think – Something happened to Manningham too. And we're like, Odell's the only guy. So it was it was perfect. The guy had yep. double digit touchdowns each of his first three seasons, and ninety plus catches. Like, what more could you yes. want? Mm-hmm. And when you say that about, oh, why did we draft him? We have receivers already. That's why I always say. So there's a difference. You have to. People always say you draft. You don't draft a need. You draft the best player available. And like. Sometimes if you have, like, a really, really big need, sometimes you have to, you know, reach for a left tackle or you have to reach for a cornerback or something like that. But sometimes if there's a player that's that good, that's available, you have to draft them no matter, no matter what because you can never have too much firepower, especially on the offensive end. Like, you can never have too much, too many receivers. You can never have too many running backs. You can never have too many good offensive linemen. And you really can never have too many, too much pass rushers. So, when people say, oh, you got draft a knee, like, it's just, I'm sorry. If, if Odell Beckham is available, I'm Oh, yeah, 100%. Board, I mean, he was a lot of fun to have. But, you know, it's a shame it ended the way it did. Uh, you know, the divorce went through, and now he's off to Cleveland. And he's still, you know, he's still uh, acting some similar ways there. So, but, man, there's <laughs> hopefully the older he gets, he matures a little bit because, now he's talking about this whole COVID thing, how like his body is immune from it, and I'm like, oh boy, you don't need to open your mouth right now, you know? Like just, just tr- try to focus right. on developing more chemistry with your quarterback, and not to mention Jarvis Landry played college with him, uh-huh. <laughs> so like, you know, you're in a good situation. You have a yeah. good head coach. I think Stefanski is great for him, and. Two really good, a uh, great running back combo in Chubb and Hunt. You know, like say what you want about Hunt, but yeah, he's he's still good. So, yeah, he's really good. 
and they have a really good they have one they of the best really lines in the league. Line. I think Wyatt Teller is probably the best guard in football right yeah. now. So, yeah. Yes. And you got JT Treader as your center. You got uh, Batonio as a really, really good guard. They, they're really – and I was really disappointed with that loss against Pittsburgh because I was really thinking, okay, this is the year they're going to show that for real. And then their two losses are against Baltimore and Pittsburgh. And if right. you can't beat those top two teams – So, like, let me let me say this. You're not the go Browns, in my opinion, they remind me of the Rams in the NFC, right? So, I think the Rams are 4-2. and two, But look who their four wins are against. They're 4-0 and oh against the NFC East. We really don't know if the Rams are legit. And the same thing about exactly. the Browns because – I feel like their wins, I mean, I don't know for sure. I think their probably most significant win of note was against the Colts. Yeah, they, they beat the Colts. They beat the Bengals. They beat the uh, – trying to think of what they play. The Jets, right? Or, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, the, the, the best one is definitely against the Colts. I remember that. Uh, I don't think they play the Jets. But, you know, they, they play teams that more like you would expect them to beat. And – Okay, here we go. Sorry, I pulled it up. So they beat Washington in week three. They beat Cincinnati in week two. That was their Thursday game. Mm-hmm. They beat Dallas, which was, at the time, we thought that was a really good win, the Dallas game. And then uh, they beat Indianapolis, and they lost to Cleveland. So, you know, I mean, Dallas was, I guess, an okay win, but we see how bad their defense is. So scoring 49 points against them is – Yeah, no, you, you really uh, – they're still hard to tell. And that division is very competitive now where – a lot of people are picking the Bengals to upset them this weekend. This could potentially be like a trap game for the Browns because the Bengals came awfully close last time. I got to tell you that Joe Burrow, he's got something brewing there in Cincinnati. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, yeah he, he's really lose to Cincinnati this weekend. I, I can't, I can't take them serious anymore. I'm done. With no, I mean, who's going to guard T Higgins on Sunday? You know, like who's going to guard that guy? AJ Green. Yeah, I, honestly, I, I didn't know who Higgins was until we played the the Bengals, and I'm just like, wait, is that, is that Chad Johnson? Like, I really was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's definitely fun to watch, but I don't know this. Uh, I'm looking forward to our second matchup this year between Giants Eagles. I think it's going to be another uh, dogfight. Like, we're, we're just going to hard nose, like milk it out to the end, and yeah. you're not going to know until like the last play of the game. And I think, you know, that's what stinks when, you know, you have a bad football team right now, like the Giants do. You can't be confident until those clocks hit triple zero every single week. Pretty much. I mean, it yeah. could be, it could be a dog fight or it could be, as Troy Aikman was said, a pillow fight. So. Well, yeah. I mean, they, they, they were kind of downgrading the game before it even started. I wasn't thrilled, but you, you know what? They, played hard. Both teams played hard. I think both teams deserve a lot of credit because um, that could potentially, those could potentially be your two best teams in the NFC East. If you really think about it, because Dallas, you know, their, their defense is really, I mean, on paper, you would think it's Dallas and Philadelphia, right? But yeah, I'm, I'm not so certain Dallas beats Washington this weekend. Yeah. I'm not really not. Yeah, I mean, Washington, they haven't won a game since week one. They're hungry for a win. So, I mean, what better what better game to do it than against Dallas, especially when they're reeling right now. They just got destroyed by Arizona on Monday night. Their defense is terrible. So, But, I mean, Washington doesn't really have many 
offensive weapons. I mean, they don't have a DeAndre Hopkins. They don't have a Larry Fitzgerald. They don't have a, a Kenyon Drake. They don't have those guys, so we'll see. <laughs> but um, real quick on Eagles Giants, I'm going to get to a couple of things before we go. So I just want to get your – so this is going to be weird because I want to get your favorite Eagles Giants memory and I want to get your least favorite. But, you know, I'm sure your least favorite is probably my favorite and my favorite is probably your least favorite. So it's probably going to go the opposite yeah. way. So. <laughs> So tell me what your favorite Eagles Giants memory that that you've witnessed is so far. So 2006, the comeback down 24-7 in the fourth quarter. That's definitely my favorite because it was in Philadelphia and Eli is still very young. He's unproven, right? So the Giants are 0-1 and the Giants were an 8-8 eight eight team that year. So that game pretty much put their season on the map where they were able to gain some confidence. And Eli, you know, that throw to Plaxico, in the end zone for the touchdown, it, it, it was great because, you know, people weren't expecting the Giants to win that game. And just the way they came back between Toomer, Jay Feely with the field goal, I think, uh, you know, setting the Giants up. It was just a lot of great events that happened. And, you know, the Giants didn't start off good that game. They were terrible. And just yeah. the way Eli was able to put up some fourth quarter magic, that's definitely my favorite Giants-Eagle memory. I um, it's cool though because we got you back. We beat you on the playoffs, so it, it was okay. So that's right, twenty three to twenty, Jeff Garcia. Yes, Jeff Garcia. Like that was that was a good. That game was terrible though. That that first that week two game, yeah. we were supposed to we were supposed to go to two and no. I'm thinking, okay, this is we're about to easily roll over this team. Like bet like twenty four to seven. Like okay, yeah. And it was a fumble recovery in the end zone, I believe, and it just it just went downhill from there. And that's the thing that happens like when you're up on the team. And you like you take your foot off the gas. It's really hard to get it back. And like that's why I hate when teams take their foot off the gas because it's really hard to start it up again. Because once you take your foot off the gas, it's you're done. Like the other team got all the momentum, and then you can't do anything. So. Yeah, yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. It's very, very frustrating. <laughs> all right. So, what's your uh, least favorite Eagles Giants memory? Um. Well. I think I this is the answer, but I want to hear you say it. Miracle at the Meadowlands 2010, Deshaun Jackson with the punt return off of Matt Dodge, who got absolutely scraped by Tom Coughlin after the game. The Giants were up big. I'm trying to remember. 31 to 10. 31 to 10. And it was, yeah. we were pretty deep into the fourth quarter, too. There was like what, like eight, nine minutes left in the game? Yep. And the Eagles just all of a sudden, they caught fire. The Giants' offense went stagnant. And the momentum just really shifted. And personally, Matt Dodge just – he needed to punt that football. He needed to angle it. Deshaun Jackson was like a third, fourth-year guy at the time. He was very explosive. He was young. He was quick. And you can't hit a line drive punt to him. This is not (laughs) – Look, man, as painful as that is as a Giants fan, look, 10 years ago feels like two years ago. I remember watching that game with my grandfather, and we're just sitting there like, oh, again. I mean, this team is just notorious for giving up late leads to the Eagles. By far my least favorite memory because it really hurt us for the rest of the season. The Giants were 10-6 and six that year and missed the playoffs. So, yeah, that's definitely – that is my least favorite memory by far. And who was quarterback that game? Was it McNabb? I'm trying to – no, I don't think it was. No, it was uh, Vic. Vic, that's right, yeah. Michael Vic. Yep, that was the Vic uh, MVP season. 
that's when they they lost to the Packers in the playoffs, right? Packers were yeah. six seed or something. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was terrible. Um, the funny thing about that is that win that we had against y'all, that was actually our last one of the season. Like we ended up losing to Minnesota the next week because that's when Minnesota got like their their stadium collapsed or something. So they, they had to move again. Oh, yeah. They had to move again. They had to move again to Philly. Then we ended up playing on like a Tuesday. Like Brett Favre was out from the previous week. So we ended up um I think Joe Webb was the starter and we ended up losing to them. And I think like you gotta be kidding me because you know we had a chance to be a top seed and Michael Vick had a chance to win MVP that season and that just screwed that over. Then we couldn't we couldn't get a higher seed. So we we sat all of our starters in the last game against Dallas, and we ended up losing that game. But that one didn't really matter. Then we ended up losing in a wild card against uh, Green Bay. So that was that was like the highlight of our season. But it was it was the end of like our, our highlight. So, but uh, yeah, that was a good game. We were down thirty-one to ten. We got a, a, like a, a seventy-yard touchdown to Brent Selick. And usually, when you're down, you need that one big play to like that one quick strike to get you right back in. And then after that, it was just it was really good. But yeah, I remember Tom Coughlin just screaming at Matt Dodge. I ain't never seen Tom Coughlin that mad before. It was he was so red. It was it was it was funny to see. It really was. Yeah, not a good memory. So, yeah. Uh, but I'm looking forward to hearing your uh, your least favorite uh, Giants Eagles memory. See if we uh, just went polar opposites on each other. Yeah, pretty much polar opposites. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm a, I'm gonna switch it up a little bit with the favorite. So okay. I'm a since you know 2010 is just way too easy, so I'm gonna go 2003 because that was a game where we were I think we were like one and two at the time, and we we needed to win. We were going against you guys. This was the Kerry Collins year, and I think we were down like 13 to nine or it was like it was an ugly game. We couldn't do anything offensively. Like it was it was just one of those ugly games, you know. And you guys ended up punting the ball to us. And it was, I think, less than a minute left in the game, and it bounced. And Brian Westbrook caught it on one hop, and he ended up running like a 84-yard touchdown, I believe. And that was how we won the game. And it was one of them. It was another miracle. It's like the lesser-known miracle at the Meadowlands because if we got the ball back, I don't think we're going to score a touchdown because our offense really hadn't moved the ball at all that game. So it was really one of those uh, ugly games. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with that one as my most favorite. But obviously, 2010 is probably my favorite, but I'm going to just switch it up and go with the 2003 punt return as well. So, it's two times that we actually beat you guys on the punt return. So. Yeah, that was a low-scoring game, too. I don't remember that as well, but I, I know Shockey had a touchdown that game, and that was pretty much all we were able to get offensively. And that was Jeff Fiegel's first year as a giant, too. So, that was that was really rough. We had a lot of special teams issues back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was – um. It was tough, but, you know, that's when we, we used to have real, real battles. And I'm looking at the series now. Like, we lead the series 88 to 85, and we've topped two times. So, and we beat you guys 14 of the last 16. So, you guys had to lead, like, for for the longest time. We just, you know, these last couple of years, we've just been able to, you know, dominate the series now. So, we've kind of tipped it in our favor now. Let me see if I can bring this game. Oh, 14 to 10, that's what it was. So, we won the game 14 to 10. So, I guess we were down 10 to 7 in that game. And that's when Brian Whisper got end up getting the punt return for a touchdown. So, yeah, eighty four yards, about a minute and sixteen seconds left. So, yeah, yeah, one of those. That was big too because I think you guys uh, avoided. You guys were below five hundred that game too, as you said. So they really yeah. needed that win, and if I'm not mistaken, that helped the Eagles eventually make the playoffs. 
Yep, yep. So we started off 0-2, then we ended up beating, I think, the Buffalo Bills in week three, and then that – I think that got us back to 2-2, two and two, and then we, like, pretty much had a – we ended up, you know, having a nice little season. So then we ended up making the championship game again. We lost to Carolina, but that's that's another story. Uh, but I'm looking at the box score for this game. Our offense was terrible. We only had nine first downs total. We had 134 yards total. Donovan McNabb went nine for 23 for 64 yards in interception. His rating was 29.1. So that was an ugly, ugly game. So. Yeah. Just really good. No, I think it goes to show you that you don't need to win with an elite offense in, in this in this league. You know, you, you need an all-around good team. And the Eagles defense really did a good job of containing the Giants. This was a year where, uh, you know, the Giants are coming off a playoff appearance and there's a lot of expectations and the offense fell flat. I know Kerry Collins had the injury that obviously hurt them, but uh, at the end of the day, the Giants just did not have a good season. This was just another game that led them to their 4-12 and record. So the Eagles, they really needed this game. And this just goes to show you that regard, you always have to throw the records out the window when it's an NFC East matchup because these teams – they know each other really well. They study a lot of film and you play each other twice a year. So, I mean, there it is right there. You, there's a lot of familiarity. So these games are usually closer than expected. Yeah. Another one, uh, I'm going to mention another one of my favorites is the 04 season opener. When uh, we got T.O., we finally, like, we had went five years without a good receiver. And we get Terrell Owens, and he goes out there and catches three touchdowns, and we're just so excited. I mean, that game, we were just like, you know what? We're going to the Super Bowl. It is over. Ain't nobody stopping us now because we had all the pieces. We had the, the quarterback. We had the running game. We had the offensive line. We had the great defense. All we needed was a wide receiver, and, like, that was just our missing piece. So that was a really good game as well. But I'm going to take it back to you guys. So you've witnessed two Super Bowls in your life, you know, 07 and 2011, both against the Patriots. So, going into the 2007 Super Bowl, what were your feelings? Did you expect to win, or were you just like, we're going to get blown out in this game? Because the Patriots were destroying everybody that season. Right. Now, I was nervous because I knew what we were going up against, and we were heavy underdogs, but we were underdogs that whole season. And I think more than anything, um, the Giants were picked against every single week, and it just put more fuel in our fire. Uh, You know, I had a feeling the Giants would win, actually, because going into that game, there was just a lot of confidence and we came out well and the giants really used a good strategy to get to Tom Brady. They kind of set the tone as what you really need to take away what your opposition does well. And I think that's what they were able to do. They were able to eliminate, uh, you know, Brady's strengths in this game. And, you know, he had trouble. He was on his back a lot. You know, giants had a good defense the whole year in both Super Bowl runs of recent time the giants have gotten hot at the right time on both sides of the football and you look who the giants went up against in the playoffs now you're sitting here asking yourself like why stop now you know you've gotten this far you might as well finish it at this point so that was my mindset going into that super bowl cool cool yeah i didn't i'm not gonna lie i didn't think you guys had a chance and as an nfc east fan i didn't want you guys to win i mean i don't Mm -hmm. Like I don't want no other NFC East teams to win the Super Bowl until we went the Super Bowl, and at the time we hadn't seen one. Right. So I was I was rooting for New England, and plus I went for the history purposes. 
I wanted to see another undefeated team. So that would have been really good. And New England was really fun to watch that season. They were. They had his. That was probably historically one of their best teams, if not their best team. It was probably Brady's best season of his career, too, which is what made it even more sweet, um, you know, compared to the undefeated record and Randy Moss as well. I believe he had over 20 touchdowns that year. Um, yeah. You know, and there was just so many pieces of that offense we were worried about Moss, Welker, Maroney, uh, you know, and. Yeah, Dante Stallworth. Again, this is another guy who flew under the radar and Brady turned him into a really solid player. So, and Jabbar Gaffney as well. So we didn't, we really didn't know like what to expect. I mean, we knew Brady and Brady was before that game. Brady was saying, oh yeah, we're scoring a lot more than 14 (laughs) or we're scoring a lot more than 14 points. And then Strahan's like, yeah, we heard you. We're going to stomp you out. That was the theme that year. We got to stomp them out. That was what the Giants chanted in the huddle before each game. And, you know, Tom Coughlin was really, really on edge before every game. And before this game, for some reason, he was so laid back, you know. And I think what really helped the Giants in that game was Coughlin was an assistant on the 1990s staff when they beat Buffalo in the Super Bowl. And him knowing that feeling, having that experience of what it's like, he was able to use that in meetings throughout the week and help the players process how it feels. And the fact that Michael Strahan and Monty Toomer were two players on that team who remember coming out on the losing end of that game, they said, it's not a good feeling. We don't want you guys to go through it. We have to leave it all out on the line. A couple of good plays here and there can make us win this game. And you know, Eli Manning, statistically, best playoff quarterback of all time, like it or not. I mean, you know, it's just he was great. He really was. He came in. He came in clutch in the best moments for sure. Sorry, I'm getting a little excited there just talking about that. It's really good memories, Chris. <laughs> nah, you good. I, look, that's why I always ask questions so you guys can, you know, go ramble on and then talk. Cause I mean, people hear me talk. I talk all the time. So like I started getting guests on here cause I was tired of hearing myself talk. So hearing someone else talking, that's why I want to get different fans on here. I mean, I can sit here and, and bring Eagles fans on here and we can reminisce about the good old days, but I want to hear it from a different fans perspective. So, you know, I, I sit back and I'll let you talk all you want. So do you think? Yeah, I no, appreciate it. But yeah, still like this was a game that, Nobody expected the Giants to win. And then, you know, the fact that they won, it was great. I think the first one was a lot more impressive than the second one because the second one, the Giants, I, they might have been favored to win that game against the Patriots. Second, really? I don't know if they were favored, but there was more people picking them to win because they've done it once before. You know, it's not as special anymore because you've already done it. Right. So, and the Patriots weren't on the feet of that year, although they – you know, they, they were still really darn good. I mean, they had Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez. They had a lot of good players. So uh, the 2011 one, it was great. It's funny. Yeah. It's funny because it really was like two different teams. You know, the, the 07 Patriots were, you know, they air it out. They just throw it down the field to Randy Moss. But the 2011 team was more, you know, their main two players were their two tight ends and, you know, running the ball and, their defense was good, and it, it wasn't just airing the ball out anymore. I mean, they still had Wes Welker and all, but, you know, like, if if, it, if there's anybody that Tom Brady made to a superstar, it's Wes Welker because this guy was just a, another run-in-the-mill 
you know, possession receiver with Miami. He got to New England and became a star. I mean, I think Buzz Walker should probably give 30% of his paycheck to uh, Tom Brady. <laughs> I like that reference. Yeah, no, that um, that is pretty legit because Brady is kind of what made Welker into what he was, and he made a career out of it. Same thing with Julian Edelman. So these guys just kind of came yeah. out of nowhere, and Edelman's still going with New England now, even without Brady. So it's pretty darn impressive. Yeah, for sure. Um, so one last thing before I let you leave. So Eli Manning, what? So you know, we've always had this debate: uh, is Eli Manning an elite quarterback? Is he a Hall of Famer? And I feel like he's borderline. And I think there's a difference between being a elite quarterback and being a franchise quarterback. I think you can be a franchise quarterback for like you know ten, twelve years without being an elite quarterback. So do you look at Eli Manning as a Hall of Famer, or did you look at him as an elite quarterback at any moment? I did. So after 2011, Eli Manning, he was an elite quarterback for a short time because uh, the reason why they won the 2011 Super Bowl, yes, the defense was great, but Eli Manning had to bail them out so many games that year. The amount of fourth quarter comebacks the Giants had just to finish with a nine and seven record and get in without Eli, the Giants don't make the playoffs that year. I mean, the Giants are sitting at home, probably watching New England win the Super Bowl. So the fact that he was able to pull off that impressive front, and I know people make the argument, Eli Manning was great in moments, right? I disagree with that argument. Eli Manning was great throughout his whole career because he was always available. He always made a lot of great throws in key moments when he had to. He didn't always have the best supporting cast. Uh, 2011, he had you know a lot of good players in Victor Cruz, Hakeem Nix, Brandon Jacobs, Bradshaw those guys. Um, But I think what was crazy about Eli Manning was he was always calm. He never cracked under pressure. If you talk about pressure, he's one of the best quarterbacks of all time. If you talk about just your average game in the regular season, he's like, he's average. You know, he was above average at times, but he's average, right? So it's just really weird to dissect and think, is this guy a Hall of Famer? Of course he's a franchise quarterback. I think he was elite for a short time. I don't think he was elite for very long. He, I thought, oh, I always thought he was very good. We know turnovers were a part yeah. of his game, but it was also a part of Brett Favre's game. He played a similar game to Brett Favre. They were both gunslingers, um, right, and they put right. up numbers. They always had those head scratching throws. Like, why did he throw that? Why did he do this? Yeah. But uh, is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer? Yes. Is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? I don't think so. Um, I, I think. You know, the the argument a lot of Giant fans make is the Super Bowls, and that's not that's not enough, right? Because quarterbacks win Super Bowls all the time. That shouldn't. For the perfect example is Trent Dilfer. Did Eli Manning? True. So I will. So I will counter yeah. with this though. A lot of players do. Like anybody can win a Super Bowl, but to win two Super Bowls is like really. I think that puts you in a elite category in the class. Right. Of life, so. I think, um, and you know, I appreciate that coming from an Eagles fan because. You know, you look at certain things and to beat the Patriots twice in the Super Bowl, those two playoff runs and this whole 500 career record thing, you have to throw that out the door, to be honest, because look what I mean, the Giants failed Eli Manning, right? In 2015, Tom Coughlin was fired. And I still think the Giants wasted Eli's good years. They really did. 2011 was his peak. He hit 30. That was it. He was going off. He. He put up top five numbers that year in the league. And 
ever since then, the Giants just failed him. They had poor drafting. They drafted Will Beatty, you know, Justin Pugh, who was good, but he was our best of the worst on the offensive line. Eric Flowers, Eli Apple, those guys weren't good. And then it was around 2015 where you really start to to see his decline, which every quarterback has that. But what made the decline of Eli so much more noticeable than other quarterbacks was because you knew what his weaknesses were and you set him up to fail with what was around him. And you look at, oh, well, the great quarterbacks uh, – they don't necessarily need a lot of pieces around them, and that's what separates them. All right, we get that. We're not saying Eli Manning is a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning or a Dan Marino, you know what I'm saying? But Eli Manning was still a very good quarterback who won games, and I associate Eli more with winning than losing. Maybe that's me, but, you know, because all fans are biased a little bit towards their own team because they don't see it from the outside looking in, but – I do yeah, think sure. Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer at the end of the day. It's hard. You So ESPN did a study a few years ago about the best playoff quarterbacks of all time. I'm sure you remember this. They did a study, and Eli Manning was the number one guy in the playoffs of all time uh, quarterback-wise. They said, all right, we're not so sure if this is a fair thing. We have to broaden our horizon and do it again. And Eli Manning still came out one, not by much, barely beat out Joe Montana. But, I mean, so his numbers came out better than Joe Montana? For the playoffs, yeah. I mean, in 2011, he had the best playoff performance of all time among a quarterback. He he barely threw interceptions in the playoffs. The the uh, Hakeem Nicks play at halftime against Green Bay in 2011 to put them up by 10. Um, the 24 to two blowout against the Atlanta Falcons, the long Hakeem Nicks touchdown in that game, the NFC championship game, the the throws to Victor Cruz, the 99 yard touchdown pass in week 16 against the Jets. I mean, I understand he wasn't like this his whole career. I'm not, I'm not trying to be biased or anything here, but um if it wasn't my quarterback as well, like it's hard to it's hard to deny that if that makes sense. Like for instance, I think there's a clear debate between Joe Montana, Eli Manning, Tom Brady, who the best playoff quarterback of all time is. I know I'm probably leaving out a couple of names, but um, he's definitely up there. I'm not gonna go ahead and say he's number one statistically. He is, but. I don't think he's a first ballot, if that's fair. I think, I mean, of course I want him to be, <laughs> but I'll, I'll give this to you. I'm, I I don't think he's a first ballot. I think he's a second ballot. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think the best ability is, like, availability. And he didn't – I mean, from – when he became the starter in 04 until 2017 when they benched him, he didn't miss a start, like, at all. But – the only thing I would say is in the postseason, it was either feast or famine. It was either a first-round knockout or it was a Super Bowl run or he didn't make the playoffs at all. So, I mean, I mean I'm looking at his numbers now. 05, 06, he got to the yep. wild card, I believe, and lost. You know, and then 08, that was like your – that was the year you guys were the number one seed and we beat you guys in the playoffs. And um, But that was coming up – that was the Plastico Birds when he shot himself and that just – that messed up your whole – Yeah, up um, and I, I know that really hurt because a lot of people were predicting the Giants to repeat 
but you have to remember something. Plaxico or not, Philadelphia was getting hot at the right time. I still think it would have been. I don't think it's a guarantee the Giants beat Philadelphia even with Plaxico Burris in that game. And here's why Eli's not a first Hall of Famer. And, Chris, I, I think you'll appreciate this stat that Eli Manning either went all the way or lost in the first playoff game. Every time he was in the playoffs, either went out in one game or went the whole way. So if he won a playoff game, you probably knew what was going to happen. (laughs) Exactly. But, um, yeah, I mean, they made the playoffs once. and So ever since 2011, he's only made the playoffs once, and that was 2016 he lost to Green Bay. But, I mean, if you're thinking, like, so over the last decade, he's only made the playoffs one time. So that's the only thing I would think that keep you out because, you know, if he was a running back or if he was a wide receiver or if he was a cornerback or whatever, right. you know, his numbers would be good. You know, you'd be thinking, okay, he played for, you know, yeah, of course. 16 years. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a good player. But when it comes to quarterbacks, mm-hmm. unfortunately, we know it's all about postseason success. It was all about back in the day, it was John Elway. Oh, you can't win a big game. It was uh, Peyton Manning. He can't beat uh, New England. He, right. can't, he can't win the Super Bowl. So it's all about winning the Super Bowl mm-hmm. when it comes to the NFL players and when it comes to the quarterbacks, and that's unfortunate. But if you look at his numbers, just his numbers, I will say he led the league in interceptions he did. three yep. times in his career. But but um, if you're looking at just the numbers, you can't deny that he, right. he's a Hall of Famer. Like, I, I just um, think that. But but we know how it is with quarterbacks, and it's all about the, the postseason success. It's all about – Tom Brady. That's why we call him the GOAT because right. he has six Super I mean, I also think, and um, I don't want to drag this along here, Chris, but I do think Donovan McNabb should be considered as well. I know he never won the big game, but he consistently, every year, Philadelphia was in the playoffs. They were winning playoff games. They may have not gone all the way, but, you know, I think ju- ju- just, just to compare here, the Eli Manning question about only reaching the playoffs the six, uh, six times, and I think that's his question. Why? And Donovan McNabb, it's never winning the big – see, the point I'm making is every player has their questions from their critics. Every player is going to have that one question about them. I don't think there's one player that's made it that really hasn't, except for a select few, you know? Because I, I, I think right. McNabb should right, be right. considered. But uh, I don't know if that's going to happen because he never won mm-hmm. – uh, the big game, but you know that that's just something that I think should be looked at a little more. I think it should be more than just the individual accomplishments, but it should also be more than just the rings that you got. If that makes sense, right? See, right, right. See, the thing with McNabb is his numbers; they don't look as pretty as Eli's because you know he came up in the era where it was you know it was more of a a defensive oriented league right. and especially our team like our he never he never really had those pretty numbers until 2004 when he got Terrell Owens before that it was you know it was 15 touchdowns 13 interceptions yeah. it was you know 3300 yards something like that it was it wasn't I mean he didn't really have like in 04 he got I think 31 touchdowns eight interceptions but that was the first time he really had like yeah. a, a pretty pretty season after that you know they opened the playbook playbook up a little more but when you look at just numbers it's, it's pretty tough to say like Hall of Famer. And, you know, he's been retired yeah. for 10 years now, and, and he still hasn't made it yet. So, you know, he's probably the best quarterback in Eagles history, but as far as yeah. like, national level, I, I don't know. I just think there should have been a little more of an argument for him, and I think that speaks volumes coming from a Giants fan, too. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, I definitely yeah, we appreciate that. That's why you know this is like probably the best conversation to have because I've had uh I've had a Niners fan on, I had a Steelers fan on, I had a Ravens fan on. So this is probably the best one because we have the most history with each other. I mean, we've played each other since 1933. Yeah. I mean, that goes <laughs> a long time ago. So, so I mean, we can sit here and talk Eagles Giants all day. So. No, I I appreciate that. And I appreciate you having me on too. This was a lot of fun. We should definitely do it again. And I'll, I'll have to have you on. Uh, I have to have you on one of my shows in the future as well to talk about this because, uh, you know, a lot of history. Yeah, for sure. A lot of history. Yeah. And I I enjoyed this. This is a lot of fun, Chris. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I appreciate you coming on. Um, but I know the one thing we can definitely agree yes. on. Yes. Oh, one hundred percent. I had a Cowboys fan yeah. text me right at the end of that game last night. So. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, like sit down somewhere. Like go. Yeah, go lose or lose to the Washington yeah, football team this weekend. <laughs> right. <laughs> Facts. All right. Well, um, yeah, I think we're going to end it there. So, thank you, um, Tom. I appreciate it. Um. If you want me to, you want to have me on your show, I'll, awesome. I'm definitely down for that. So, any uh, last things um, you want to say before? A good win last go? night. You guys could potentially make the playoffs this year. I could see it. Um, go Giants. Uh, you know, just hoping for a couple of wins here and some in, improvement and a bright future. But you have a great show going here and hope to talk to you again soon.